Your fever is high and the pressure to log in at work is too. But when you finally decide to take care of you, there's Instacart. Just because that one perfect coworker of yours is attending all meetings, camera on while she's sneezing, coughing, and aching, doesn't mean you have to do the same. Take it from us. Trying to stay on top of things will only get you further behind. Instead, get everything from tissues and teas to cough suppressants and comforting soups delivered through Instacart in as fast as 30 minutes. If anyone needs anything, they can just redirect their questions to that one perfect coworker. Worker of yours. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to another show in the studio. Oh, are you rapping at this point? Is that is I, that what we got? I didn't even plan that. I'm it yeah. just happened. It felt like you didn't. <laughs> you know, uh, it feels good. Uh, I'm still feeling sometimes and I don't know why I'm surprised when randomly I'm tired. Like we're all humans. You can't be on it every day. Yeah, true. It still blows my mind when you have one of those off days. Doesn't it doesn't it like <sighs> Yeah, it feel is, weird. It, it's one of those things where I I feel like we were on such of a high yesterday. Yes. Because obviously it was the first and all these things. But yeah, I feel not like you're plateauing. This is going to be a good show. Don't get me wrong, people. Um, but still, you know, it's it's the middle of the week and like my mom texted me. Middle of the week, it's Tuesday. Uh, yeah, but like my mom texted me today being like, is it Friday yet? And I right? honestly feel like that is just the general consensus. Yeah, see, this is the thing. I wonder if we feel this as individuals or if it becomes a collective thing at a certain point. We're like, a hive mind. We're yeah. all connected thinking So when the each same of us thing. wake up being like, oh, this feels weird. We're all like waking up feeling this is weird. So I wonder, did we all collectively at the same time hate that rap that you did just a few seconds ago? <laughs> I don't know why you do focus groups. <laughs> There's a lot of focus groups that I have to Let do. Us know at LGT show and social media. Coming up on the show, I'm so excited. We're looking back on the 25th anniversary of Rent with Jay Rodriguez, one of the original Aww. stars and also a Channel Q star. And uh, um, OG Queer Eye. Yes, of course. I yeah, I was like, that. how do you forget his Emmys? He tells us every five seconds. It was a brain fart. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that was funny. <laughs> That's coming up at 3.30 p.m. Pacific, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. Plus, we're going to be telling you more about Bisexual Plus Health Awareness Month and what you need to know. But right now let's get into this what's trending in the news wow that's really intense uh yeah a very uh tragic incident happened today 13 people were killed and several others were seriously injured after an suv carrying 25 people including multiple children collided with a big rig in imperial county this morning and imperial county coroner's office as well as imperial county fire and u.s border patrol who also responded out to render uh, uh, aid to all the people involved in this collision. It's a very sad situation. Uh, We're working collectively with these agencies to make sure that we find out exactly what happened and come to a resolution for this. That's it. That was the California Highway Patrol providing updates on the deadly crash uh, in Southern California. They said over two dozen people were in a Ford Expedition, which would typically see, imagine that, two dozen people 24 people. It seats eight to nine people legally. That collided with a tractor trailer full of gravel. Really sad. 
Oh, I mean, that is kind of really sad, actually. It, and it, 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 it's, I think it's even sadder because you just don't hear stories like this. Mm-hmm. And to know that a lot of people lost their lives is just never a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, we have some good news. A bit of an early Yazgreen, but kind of like uh, they, they're a bit late. <laughs> One of the nation's largest foster care and adoptions agencies announced this week it will no longer discriminate against potential LGBTQ plus parents. Oh, thanks. We appreciate right? it. Bethany Christian Services announced they will now fully service same-sex couples and others seeking to adopt or foster children in need. Previously, the agency referred those groups to other agencies who did not discriminate on the basis of gender or sexual orientation. So you can now, no matter who you are... Uh, you can adopt from Bethany Christian Services if you want to. All right. I mean, and also, didn't you just do a thing? Uh, like, it was like a cryobank, though. I feel like it was kind of different. But you were yes. basically centering uh, queer couples. Yes. Uh, if if anyone wanted donors who are looking for sperm donors, we were, yeah, telling people to go to cryobank.com. And they have one of the largest do- uh, amount of donors yeah. in the U.S. And you can find ones that look like celebrities, yeah. etc. We had a whole discount Wait, code. Wait, you can find donors that look like celebrities? Yes. Now, that's a little creepy. We could talk about that another time. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, let's get into what's happening in entertainment news, Ryan. The Tea Report. Okay, so we got some new things happening here. Now, let me turn this down because that was really loud. We got. We some... have new music yeah, here. Yeah, that Shira is like over here giggling about. I'm like, I yeah, just go with the flow. It's, it's the show. So um, but anyway, John Mayer is the latest celebrity to join TikTok. But I don't think he was expecting this type of response. Here's the thing. Um... The Taylor Swift fans, uh-huh. I feel like we were just talking about them standing up for something like really good, um, but now they're like dragging him out of nowhere. Um, basically, his initial video showed himself appearing to struggle with understanding how this whole app worked, saying, can someone tell me how to flip the camera? Um, after that, he posted another video where it looked like he was talking to himself, and he captioned it, um, quote, POV, you're berating me, and I'm hearing you out. Now, that caption was a response to his comment section because the Taylor Swift fans were being ruthless. A lot of the comments included a barrage of negative feedback from users, many who appear to be Taylor Swift fans, critical of John's rumored relationship from years ago. I mean, what's the big deal here? They dated, like, I mean, what was it, like, tons of years I don't ago. Even know. Why are they being yeah. so intense? Like, why are they hating him so much? Is he just a hateable guy? Uh, yeah. I do think, I honestly feel like there are people <laughs> in this world who are just hateable. I think he's one of those people you could love, but you could also hate simultaneously. You know, I have a great John Mayer story um, from a couple years ago that I will be releasing in my memoir once I'm ready to write it and I'm famous enough to share it with the world. Okay. That's the announcement. Or you can just tell me during the break. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that's your team before I got more coming up next hour. Coming up on the show is the deadline approaches for the next relief bill. Some Senate Democrats are proposing recurring direct payments. Imagine that. What that could actually look like next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. As the deadline looms for the pandemic relief bill, some Democrats are proposing repeat direct stimulus payments and automatic unemployment insurance extensions. Here to share more is Jackie Alemani, the author of Power Up at The Washington Post. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. So this letter was sent today to Biden. Did it really include anything new? And would this be an addition to the $1.9 trillion bill or part of it? This would be an addition. This um, asked for uh, reoccurring financial assistance during the fi- during the pandemic, which would include um, automatic unemployment insurance extensions and 
reoccurring direct stimulus payments would be a part of Biden's Build Back Better plan, which is a wide range, his wide ranging jobs and infrastructure bill that's expected to follow after this $1.9 trillion relief package uh, wends its way through Congress. But we already see Democratic lawmakers jockeying to make sure that their priorities are included in this package, even though, you know, it, it won't be done for several months now. Yeah, and it seems like this package is getting some uh, support from Democrats, um, but there's still some moderate uh, Senate Democrats who are a little hesitant. What are some of the, uh, like, I guess, reasons why they're kind of raising some issues when it comes to this? You know, it's really unclear why they're raising any issues, because outside of there being a lack of bipartisan support on the on Capitol Hill, there is overwhelming bipartisan public consensus that supports a lot of this relief spending. Um, you know, you have a, a wide range of senators on the ideological spectrum, actually, who do support reoccurring financial assistance. And actually, they make the argument to more moderate centrist senators like Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema that actually this provides more targeted uh, relief since it um, is tied to economic conditions. Uh, it also, you know, takes the legislation out of the jaws of the turn of Capitol Hill um, and expedites the process as well. So you don't have people falling off the benefits cliff uh, intermittently. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. But already with it, it being a challenge to even get this $1.9 trillion bill passed, I mean, how do they expect this addition yeah, you're totally right. It's going to be a steep climb, especially as Senate Democrats right now can't even agree on the targeted $1,400 stimulus payments. You have people like Joe Manchin who uh, want to narrow the eligibility requirements right now in the American Rescue Plan. Uh, and then you also have other senators who want to um, lower the amount of money that Americans on unemployment insurance are receiving every day. So um, this infrastructure package is, is expected to be even more money than what we are seeing being put together um, passed through the Senate this week. Um, so it's, you know, going to be a, pr a pretty contentious battle, I think, even if you take Republicans out of it and it's done through budget reconciliation again. Yeah, but mm. aren't economists kind of saying that if you look at the history of uh, the, the history of it all, that we should be kind of giving more. And there's something that you noted, the economic security project in your piece on The Washington Post. That I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about, because I thought this was really interesting um, as it is kind of providing another way to deliver relief to Americans. Yeah, you're, you're right. I mean, you have the Federal Reserve Chair, Jerome Powell, who estimated that he believes the true unemployment rate is closer to 10 percent. That was in January. Uh, regardless, the unemployment rate that the Labor Department's putting out is at 6.3 percent and over 20 million Americans are receiving weekly unemployment payments. You know, things have gotten a little bit better from an economic perspective, but uh, Powell, along with um, Janet Yellen, have advocated for far more relief and that Congress has a bigger role to play here going forward, especially as we hopefully will move out of the pandemic. Um, and I think the idea here is a lot of these senators who were a part of Obama's 2009 push to um, provide relief during the Great Recession sort of have been looking back at their mistakes and view this as an opportunity to expedite the recovery um, and avoid some of the pitfalls that they made in 2009, 2010. Yeah. During your coverage at The Washington Post around all of this, what are you hearing from Republicans? Sorry, my puppies are barking. Hey, it happens. Um, We're at, working you from know, home. We get it. 
<laughs> you know, we're not hearing much from Republicans, and I think that speaks to just how popular this is with the American public. There was a Amer- uh, morning consult poll that came out last week that 76% of Americans support the $1.9 trillion American rescue plan, um, and that uh, um, a substantial bulk of, of that, of those people who support the plan, are actually Republicans. Republicans in red states need this relief just as much as uh, Democrats in, in blue states. And that's why you've seen the topic of relief being avoided at places like CPAC, the conservative conference that happened over the weekend. Um, you saw President, former President Trump completely avoid the topic. Um, but that being said, the bill, the American relief, uh, the American rescue plan did passed the House without a single Republican vote. And this second infrastructure bill, even though infrastructure has long been billed as a bipartisan point of interest, it's probably going to face just as much pushback from Republicans um, as we're seeing right now with the coronavirus relief package. Okay, real quick, last question before as we wrap up, yes or no, are we getting money this month like a stimulus package? Can we actually assume that? If you... Uh, um, are eligible in the requirements that senators eventually agree on when it comes to um, the requirements for the direct payments, it is possible that you will get a payment in March. Woo! Unemployment okay. insurance ding, ding, ding. expires March 14th, but Americans are, but Congress is on a really tight timeline right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why you have Joe Biden attending the Senate luncheon today, telling Democratic senators that they need to hurry up and get this thing yeah. done, that it's the only place that this bill is not popular is on Capitol Hill. Yeah. Jackie, uh, and that need Americans to... need the relief. Yeah. Th- thank you so much for being here. Uh, that was Jackie Alamani, author of Power Up of the Washington Post. We appreciate it and enjoy your dogs. Thanks. <laughs> Coming up, why Joe Biden's pro-union message he made this weekend is so significant. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Over the weekend, Biden emphasized his support for unions, and it was an important statement as the ongoing vote in Alabama continues uh, to decide whether Amazon workers at a Bessemer, Alabama warehouse will unionize. Here's what he had to say. I've long said America wasn't built by Wall Street. It was built by the middle class, and unions built the middle class. Unions put power in the hands of workers. They level the playing field. They give you a stronger voice for your health, your safety, higher wages, protections from racial discrimination and sexual harassment. Unions lift up workers, both union and non-union, and especially black and brown workers. I've made it clear, made it clear when I was running, that my administration's policy would be to support unions organizing and the right to collectively bargain. And now joining us, we have labor history expert Nelson Lichtenstein of the University of California, Santa Barbara, joining us. So okay. uh, I was really um, interested in your response. Uh, what do you think is energizing this now for Biden? And why is it putting Obama to shame? Well, uh, because uh, President Ob- uh, Biden made a very forthright uh, defense of unionism uh, in, in a kind of full-throated fashion, uh, and, and, he had, and he also denounced uh, what has become standard operating procedure for all corporations, uh, the various schemes of intimidation and uh, anti-union propaganda, something that, that Obama never did. Traditionally, Democratic presidents would say, oh, we want fairness, we want a level playing field, 
but I'm staying out of it. Um, and Obama would, would, would jump right in, and he also made it very clear that uh, the major uh, beneficiaries of unionism, certainly in many places, and certainly in Alabama, are African-American and Latino uh, workers. Yeah. So that was very important. Yeah, I thought it was really interesting, your your tweet kind of saying that, um, because I think oftentimes when we look at the Obama administration, I, because he was such uh, in a space of first, it was really mm-hmm. difficult for him to really uh, get a lot of things done that he may or may not have wanted to mm-hmm. get done or what the people would have wanted him to get done. So I was wondering, is that really kind of a fair assessment for him to kind of be thrown into these conversations or compared into things that, you know, of course, Joe Biden's going to have more of an opportunity to kind of get mm-hmm. to? Well, well, I mean, the 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 both of both administrations, and I think this is true for uh, for Biden will have difficulty with Congress. There's no doubt about that. Um, But there's the bully pulpit, you know, and uh, President Obama would use the bully pulpit for some questions, which are very important. Health care, I I think that was a very important uh, start that he did with that, and other things as well. Um, uh, Biden, I I mean, I think that the times demand a different agenda. (laughs) And clearly today, Given uh, inequality and the uh, the pandemic and and and, and the and the, the the decline of kind of voice for workers, uh, Biden I think is is correct to at least insofar as that video that he put up, put forth to emphasize the importance of um, of a trade unionism as a way not just to raise wages but to um, increase democratization in the society and to rectify racial. Uh, and gender uh, discriminations. Uh, so I guess I want to know, will this be an, uh, help the, the unions at this point? Will Biden's stance on this protect uh, the employees? Do you think well, it will change I, how I, corporations I, I, take I, this on? Let me see. The thing that, that Biden denounced when he, and this was very important, usually presidents don't denounce the techniques of corporations to, main, to remain, remain uh, just defeat unions. He did that. Everything that Biden denounced was legal. In other words, all the, over, over many decades, uh, smart uh, lawyers and, and, and jurists have, have made legal these things which we'd otherwise think are quite underhanded, intimidating, discriminatory, etc. Mm-hmm. It's all legal. But, 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 but uh, President Biden denounced it, said, don't do that. So I think, you know, these Silicon Valley companies and these companies that, are, that, are, that, that, that want to maintain a kind of, oh, liberalish or inclusive uh, uh, reputation, they're going to think twice before they do, you know, basically it's, it's standard managerial practice to intimidate workers when they seek to form a union. Yeah, I'm actually interested in how this uh, his response and him speaking out to this is going to kind of impact the relationship that he may have with kind of like these bigger corporations and what that really means in the relationship of like the Democrats versus these right. big corporations. What do you think there? Well, that's a very good question, very good point. And uh, clearly, you know, presidents don't don't want to. I mean, uh, Trump did, but I mean, most presidents want to be inclusive. Uh, but I, I mean, uh, we, I'm sure that uh, President Biden will say, well, yes, we want. I want Silicon Valley to be to be part of my uh, constituency and everything. But he nevertheless, he did, in fact, uh, throw a gauntlet down here 
and uh, uh, to to these some of these corporations. I mean, he made it very clear. It was very that was what was radical about his statement that uh, it's it's not up to the corporations. They they shouldn't be part of this decision. It's up to the workers themselves. That's not what you when you if you if you've ever been any kind of union drive or anything of that sort. Oh, the the what's the company going to do? What's the company going to do? We you know no, it's not that the company should stick to stay out of it. And so he threw down a gauntlet, and uh, uh, we will we will see. I mean, I. I can't foresee whether or not um, uh, these companies will, will pull back and be a little more moderate. I should say that, that, that huge numbers of alumni of the, of the Obama uh, and Clinton and, 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 and administrations yeah. and other Democrats are now public relations uh, people and managers and whatnot in all these Silicon Valley companies, you know, and, and Amazon among the, among, and, and Uber and facelift, you name it. So they'll feel pressure, possibly. Well, that was Nelson Lichtenstein of the University of California, Santa Barbara. Thank you so much again for joining us. You're welcome. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. So we're about to talk about uh, this Dr. Seuss debacle. So this is what happened today. I know Dr. Seuss like, why am I in it? What's going on? Okay. So, well, it was Read Across America Day today. And that was established in 1998 as a way of encouraging children to read. And it was chosen also to mark um, the March 2nd birthday of the Cat in the Hat author Theodore Seuss Geisel. Okay, that's his name. But... In recent years, they've de-emphasized the Seuss connection to promote a more diverse roster of writers and books. This is where the whole Dr. Seuss thing comes in now, because the Enterprise, the company that owns Dr. Seuss, announced today that six titles, and to think about that, I saw it on Mulberry Street. If I ran the zoo, McElligot's pool, I don't, I don't know these Dr. Seuss, <laughs> Seuss uh books on beyond zebra scrambled egg super i remember that one and the cat's quizzer they're no longer going to be published due to their hurtful and wrong character portrayals so that's basically what's happening they're pulling six of their books because they've drawn scrutiny for racist and insensitive imagery makes sense right that's the case exactly Uh, Now, Fox News was not happy with this. They have given this wall-to-wall coverage and had a meltdown over it. Here's one of the many clips. Let me just quote Barack Obama in 2015 saying, quote, pretty much all the stuff you need to know is in Dr. Seuss. Now, is Barack Obama racist for, for quoting Dr. Seuss there and, and patting him on the back for the work Can that he I did? Add one I other, don't think so. one other angle to this? There are so many kids right now who are falling behind in their reading because of this and pandemic. And it's a great place to start, And they're Dr. not Seuss. in the classroom. And Dr. Seuss, this company, could be just spreading that message. Yep. Educate our children. Encourage literacy. Um, interesting. <laughs> you know, I... I I know I'll probably never get on like daytime television like Kelly and Ryan, so I'm just gonna say this: white people get on my nerves um, because of this, <laughs> because they are not looking to Dr. Seuss as the next like I don't know uh, I, what I don't know Edgar Allan Poe that's gonna transform your literature knowledge. Like Dr. Seuss, yes, is cute, but it already has. And it's, I mean, it's it's okay if some things get canceled and then you still have other things, and it's like it exactly. it lived its life. I just don't understand why they put so much energy into this lackluster talking point of how cancel culture is taking away everything. And also, one of the clips that we were going to play was uh, one of the guys was like, "Oh, well, this is like literally my my culture." Or like. 
these are the icons that I grew up with. Take it away. And it's just like, if that's your icons, maybe reevaluate your life because that seems like the bar is in hell and you might want to figure out and have kind of like a, a, a retrospective moment of being like, is this really something or the hill that I want to die on for a Dr. Seuss book that I'm not even reading or kids are not even, I doubt Dr. Seuss is really on the reading list still like it used to be well, when we listen, were growing it is. Up. Wait, so Cat in the Hat is a classic. However, once again, times change. Things evolve. It's just not Context that matters. But context matters. If we're looking back at a book that while it became really popular, we're now seeing that it's not appropriate anymore. I'm sorry. We gotta let go of it. And they don't care. They just want to continue to 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 fuel their narrative about cancer culture. That's really what this is about. This isn't about actually caring uh, that kids are going to lose out on something. Because guess what? They're not. To know that kids are not going to have to be like educated with racist material or harmful material should be a pretty good thing. That means, guess what? The next generation are going to be good people. They're not going to be on Fox News saying this crap. Yeah, then maybe we won't have to cancel things anymore if we have better people in the world. Maybe we should just cancel Fox News. I think that's already happened. People have tried at least. Uh, Now, anyway, coming up on the show, what you need to know about Bisexual Plus Health Awareness Month. More details next. And of course, we've got what's trending this hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. You might be thinking to yourself, oh, this is weird. I usually listen to Channel Q at three and I don't hear these voices. Well, that's because Let's Go There, your afternoon show right here on Channel Q has moved to new hours. We're earlier and we're longer. Yeah, so if you hated us before and you are familiar with us, <laughs> sorry, this might be your worst nightmare. But guess what? You'll love us. I promise you. We are very charming. Yeah. We are cute. And we have the great drama that you're looking for between two co-hosts. Like, you oh, want to know true. the nitty-gritty. It's real. The love-hate is real. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, we are probably going to argue in a second. No. Yeah. <laughs> Just a reminder, if you're really interested and you're losing track of time and like your your space and location while you're listening, pull over. Pull over. Right? We've had people do it. We've had Pay listeners attention. pull over before. Exactly. <laughs> I'm really excited because we're reuniting with someone we love, Jay Rodriguez, in a bit right here yes. on the show. Yes. That's going to be great. We, I, yeah. You know, I haven't talked to Jay in a while since probably in the beginning of quarantine mm-hmm. when we connected. Um, and it's just, it's always so nice to connect with him. And I know our listeners here at Channel Q love him. So we're super, super excited Yeah, about Queer Eye OG. And of course, uh, he's going to be joining us to talk more about Rent. It's the 25th year anniversary. Wow. That's crazy. I remember going to the musical on Broadway. I mean, that's a, yeah, 25 years ago. Exactly. Time. So we're going to be talking more about that and the legacy and its relevance right now at 3.30 p.m. Pacific, 6.30 p.m. Eastern. But right now, let's get into some of this. Uh-uh. Just... We have what, what's trending this hour. <laughs> We do have a new musical thing we'll add another day, I guess. Uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott lifted the state's mask requirement and increased the permitted capacity of all businesses to 100% today. So it's happening. If you're in Texas, you can go anywhere, pretty much. So today, I'm issuing a new executive order that rescinds most of the earlier executive orders. Effective next Wednesday... All businesses of any type are allowed to open 100%. That includes any type of entity in Texas. Also, I am ending the statewide mask mandate. Wow. I love that dramatic pause. 
mean, here's the thing. I am really sad about that. It, it just seems like every time, because he's a he's he's a Republican leader, right? He, mm-hmm. It's just it's just ridiculous because I think they're also looking to do stuff like that in Tennessee, and it just feels like such a bad idea when there are new variants just creeping in. Um, yeah, yeah. And, and public health officials are warning that good. just watch out. Just because we're in the clear a bit doesn't mean we're completely in the clear. We're not in the clear at all. If they're still saying that, that means we're not in the clear. Yeah, and they also explained that under this new order, they may impose certain ordinances if hospitalizations did rise above 15% of bed capacity for seven days straight. So that will be happening. It's not like they're just not following any rules. And finally, this explosive audio that just got dropped on Twitter. We need to talk more about this on tomorrow's show, but we're going to play the clip. A Republican lawyer argued uh, at the Supreme Court that if the Voting Rights Act is not gutted, how are Republicans supposed to win? So you can hear the suppression on record. Justice Amy Coney Barrett basically asked the GOP um, and why they're against more people voting. And the GOP lawyer, you'll hear, says because it puts us at a competitive disadvantage, it's a zero-sum game. I'm interested in knowing why the RNC is in the case. So, you know, the DNC had standing and the district court said that it had standing to challenge the out-of-precinct policy because the policy placed a greater imperative on Democratic organizations to educate their voters and because the policy harmed its members who would have voted out of precinct. What's the interest of the Arizona RNC here in keeping, say, the out of uh, precinct um, voter ballot disqualification rules on the books? Because it puts us at a competitive disadvantage relative to Democrats. Politics is a zero-sum game. You heard it. You heard it. That's going to be huge, by the way. That that just got dropped, but everyone the next 24 hours at least is going to be talking about that. Minimum. I mean, this changes the game to have them on record saying this. And that was What's Trending This Hour, What's Happening in Entertainment News, Ryan. Okay, so let's talk about Alec Baldwin and his wife, Hilaria. Um, they just had their sixth child, which I can't even imagine mm-hmm. having six children at this point. And no shade, they are a little bit older. And so, of course, they're getting all this backlash. It's time for your tea report. Let's talk about it. Those pop culture stories trending right now. After reposting uh, Hilaria's uh, snapshot of herself with her six children, or their six children, including their newest addition, uh, their daughter, whom the couple welcomed uh, via surrogate, Alec is responding to several comments on the post, including some referencing uh, that whole heritage controversy that happened um, earlier last year. Uh, one person asked who the mother was. Another one said that they were just posting this as clickbait. They should be raising their kids in private. Well, here's what Alec had to say. He said, you should shut the F up and mind your own business. He said, I believe that people should simply say congratulations or just shut the F up that's it period mm-hmm. big dot I, I listen let them have their babies they want to have a small town a village i'm surprised you're saying that it. you're a believer in climate change she's 37 years old she's still young it's not that old and he's like all right maybe he's a bit older but they love each other they love having kids <laughs> I just, I just can't believe how much they love each other and they love having kids. Yeah, my question is, I wonder if they're going to teach their daughter how to speak Spanish. Anyway, okay, that's your tea report. We got more coming up next hour. Uh, coming up, of course, we're talking more about Bisexual Plus Health Awareness Month, what you need to know. Uh, that's next. So stick around. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. 
Since it first began in 2014, Buy Plus Health Awareness Month has been dedicated to raising awareness about the social, economic, and health disparities facing the Buy Plus community. And according to a new Gallup survey, and we've talked about the survey, 57.9% of the LGBTQ community is Buy Plus. And here to tell us more is the Bisexual Resource Center board member and content producer, Alexandra Bowles. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Uh, so tell us more about Bi Plus Health Awareness Month and what does Bi Plus entail? Because people might be confused why we're not just mentioning Bi. Great question. So when we say Bi Plus, we mean anyone who is attracted to more than one gender, no matter what label they use. So that could be bisexual, pansexual, queer, fluid, the list goes on, but they're all welcome under the Bisexual Plus umbrella. Um, And Hashtag Buy Health Month is an annual campaign led by the Bisexual Resource Center uh, and our dozens and dozens of partners. We have about 30 this year. Um, And the goal is to raise awareness and inspire action that improves Buy Plus people's well-being. It's pretty, pretty straightforward. (laughs) <laughs> I, I love that. And I think over the years, we've seen um, people in the way they, I guess, talk about bisexuality or bi plus, um, you know, when it comes to sexual orientation and things like that. It, it feels like it was at one point there was a lot of erasure involved. But I was wondering, do you still feel that way now? Is there a, a lot of bi plus erasure that's still kind of occurring when you're when you're thinking about this? You know, I think we've come a long way, um, but there's still so much farther to go. One thing that the Gallup poll findings are showing me is that, you know, more people have the language to describe themselves earlier on, uh, which is great. And social campaigns like Buy Health Month are super important for making that possible and bringing more information directly to all kinds of people. Um, but I think, you know, we've seen definitely uh, changes in in the amount of, of Buy Plus representation, but we're always aiming for more robust and fair and accurate um, and, and frankly, diverse uh, representation of who Buy Plus people are. Um, there are so many trans people, BIPOC people, disabled people within our Buy Plus community. Um, and so there's so many intersecting and unique needs as well. And that's really what this month's theme of equity is all about, I, uh, honoring those different intersections and making sure they have all of their unique needs met. Thank you for not saying BIPOC. You actually said BIPOC, which I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, that's good to know because I, I sometimes say BIPOC, so BIPOC. Okay. Uh, I'm always learning something on the show as well. So I, I think this is so important. What's the biggest misconception about the BIPLUS community? I think, oh, what a good question. I think the biggest misconception um, is that uh, we either don't exist or that we don't have um, unique experiences and that we can just be lumped in uh, with, you know, our gay peers. Um, and it's just not it's just not the case. Uh, the Gallup poll, again, sort of points to something that we've always known, which is that bi plus people make up the majority of the LGBTQ community. But we actually face higher health disparities um, and higher hurdles to achieving full wellness than our gay and straight peers. And even on top of that, um, we only receive 1% of overall LGBTQ advocacy funding to combat those, those high hurdles. So we're definitely here and we're definitely queer, but we don't necessarily have the tools that we need. And 
um, because a lot of research sort of aggregates uh, gay and bi plus people together, it means that we're not getting um, the the money that we need and also that we'll never have full LGBTQ community wellness if we're not specifically meeting bi plus people's needs. Right. And can you break that down? What are some of those tools that the bi plus community it look, is looking for and needs? Because I think this uh, bisexual pl- or bi plus health awareness month is really new for me where I was like, well, what is the kind of health resources that you all are looking for? That's a great question. I mean, it, wellness is such like a holistic experience. So it's social well-being, right. physical well-being, um, you know, sexual health resources. Uh, uh, there are high rates of, of poverty and isolation um, within the BIPLUS community. So some things that may not necessarily seem like health resources absolutely are. So to your earlier question, like robust, accurate media representation, that's a really good wellness tool because it helps us see ourselves and it helps validate who we are and uh, sort of create a shorthand for other people to really understand who we are. Um, a lot of those moments of, of like physical unwellness, for example, um, you know, occur actually sort of as a direct result of, uh, of not understanding who bi plus people are and having um, by antagonism. So, for example, you know, this is kind of a dark example, but uh, when uh, bi people, bi plus people face high rates of inter of interpersonal uh, partner violence, and a lot of uh, those violent moments invoke anti bi stereotypes. Um, you know, about like yeah, cheating yeah. and about untrustworthiness, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. So, um, the more people act, the more general society actually knows who bi plus people really are, the the safer bi plus people are and the happier and healthier we can be. So everyone can participate, whether you're a healthcare provider or not, in improving our community's well-being. Yeah, and go to hrc.org for more info. Follow the hashtag Bi Health Month. That was Alexandra Bowles, the Bisexual Resource Center board member and content producer. Thanks for being here. Thank you guys so much. Have a great month. Yes, you too, honey. Coming up on the show, we're reflecting on the impact of Rent the Musical on its 25th anniversary with one of its stars who played Angel, Jay Rodriguez, joins us for that next. century ago, the landmark musical Rent debuted on Broadway and redefined the American musical. It went on to win four Tony Awards and a Pulitzer Prize for its creator, Jonathan Larson, who died just before the show opened. We are looking back at the legacy of Rent today, and I'm so excited because we have Jay Rodriguez joining us, Emmy winner, of course, with Queer Eye from Channel Q, The Morning Beat, and Angel in Rent on Broadway. Jay, thanks so much yes. for being here. Thank you for having me and honoring uh, a generation now of of the impact of Rent, which has been done all over the world. I am, I guess October will be 24 years for me starting the show. I, I came into the show a year and a half later and sleeping in the streets to get rush tickets in high school. I would have never thought that five months later I'd be starring in the show. But you were so young when you yeah. did the Broadway cast. What would you tell that young Jay starring in that, that Broadway cast right now, looking well, with everything that you know? Do you know what's you know? funny is I just came across footage, which I, I've been posting on Jay's World, which is my website, and 
I, I have it on Instagram and Facebook as well. And I look at this scared little kid. Mind you, you know, Ryan, we didn't have a whole lot of drag uh, visibility. I came from a very, you know, strict home. The idea and the concepts of, that, uh, of what re- rent represented weren't things that I had lived through yet. And mm. um, when I look at the footage, I think because they shot it during rehearsal before we had audiences and we're in first times in costumes, I could see the fear in my eyes about owning being queer, about being in drag. And, and, and while I tackled the role over the course of my time with it, Angel, the character really helped me find who I was and my identity just by being so comfortable in her skin. Something about that just bled into Ah. the way I navigated my life. And and I look at those pictures and I see my fear. Mm. And then I look at photos from when I did it on the West Coast, you know, I think I did it in the uh, 2010 here. And it's just a different um, vibe. And, you know, I'm happy to say that that moment in my life, 18 to 23, it couldn't have been better working with a multi-ethnic, uh, multi-generational uh, cast of extreme talent, people who had resumes that were just so thick and fat, yet they taught me about discipline and work ethics and knowing your lines and being at work on time and all the things. So when I do television now, people are like, you're a theater kid, right? Because <laughs> you're always on time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And, and what was it like having the uh, Fox special? I remember we celebrated it yeah. in West Hollywood. Yeah, well, I mean, times yeah, have so changed. They, um, yes, they did a they did a reboot on Fox, like a live uh, kind of thing, and cast um you know a bunch of familiar faces from television and music. And um, I got the special honor of hosting uh, the West Hollywood screening at Revolver, yeah. and so I was like, I am digging through my closet. I'm going to make some angel. I went and hosted as my character. Um, and that was really special because I'd forgotten. Listen, we had, it was Sunday fun day. And I was I like, remember. no one's going to come. The minute that we shut the dance music off and start rent, the bar is going to empty out. No, the opposite happened. People flooded in. You could hear a pin drop at moments uh, of the show. It has a special place in people's hearts. And they reverence, I think, the messaging. And it's just, I mean, by the end, we were all singing along. And it was just a beautiful experience. Uh, it is. I was there, and it feels like yesterday. Oh, was it how long ago? Yeah. It was. It was a I while ago, been, a couple years. Yeah, ago. a year and a half ago. I that's, was that's crazy. Yeah. Well, it was. It was one of my favorite musicals. It still is. You saw me singing to it, and it was mm-hmm. part of my teenage years. Definitely. We're gonna yeah. hang out with you. We're gonna yeah, continue having you on the you. show Let's because you're on. here. We don't want you to go. We're looking back <laughs> at 25 years of Rent right after this with Jay Rodriguez. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We are back with Jay Rodriguez. We're talking about 25 years of rent on the anniversary. Of course, Jay played Angel on Broadway, and he's part of the family here at Channel Q. Yeah. Uh, Jay, could you imagine that rent would still be so relevant even today? No, and I think part of it is, you know, so many people look back and, and, and the concepts don't feel um, that shocking. But at the time, can you imagine, the, we have a lot of profanity in Rent, mm-hmm. and when you're singing it, I mean, first of all, A, also Rent was loud. Like, it was a louder show than most Broadway shows, so you would look out into the audience and people who had sensitivity to sound would have their fingers in their ears while other people were rocking out. So it was really interesting to be able to own it, especially songs like La Viva Wem and, and all the things, that the words and the language there, honoring trailblazers and icons and music and culture and you know, for me, it was a coming of age moment when most people were in college. I was in rent, so I always call that that half a decade of my life sort of the the um, the, the queer education that I that I kind of needed. And um, I think in many ways, so many of those folks are 
like family. It's hard to describe. You go through this experience eight shows a week. You're busting your butt. You're not getting a whole lot of glory before social media, before television, before Queer Eye for me. And, you know, it's, it's I think to me, at my core, I'll always be the kid from Rent. Yeah, and Jay, you have like, I feel like I've been so inspired by you uh, just throughout your entire career, of course. And then especially with quarantine, I feel like you've reinvented yourself and had the opportunity of playing so many like incredible like LGBTQ icons on uh, the HBO Max series Equal. (laughs) I just I just feel like is there anything that you haven't done yet that you really want to do? I'll tell you. At this station in life, I kind of, you know, I love being a guest star. I love that, you know, last year I was really blessed to be able to do the Rookie and and Equal on HBO Max, like you said. And, you know, we did Family Feud. There's a Queer Eye reunion that's going to air on E! this spring, which is going to knock your socks off. So it was honestly, last year was survival. You know, I I, I didn't have a job. I was really, and as a gig worker, you rely on jumping gig to gig. and, And so the year was... You know, I'm always pivoting. I was just um, nominated for a queer tee for best innovator, but that's literally out of a primal necessity just to stay alive. And it's thankfully a skill I have, but part of it is I've been so blessed to be able to have shows and uh, projects, whether it's in stage and screen, that have had purpose. So I look back and I'm like, how did I get so lucky that the roles or the jobs that I've had in my career allow me to talk about things in a broader space mm-hmm. through the art form of that is the show? So, you know, I know it doesn't happen all the time. And I, you know, I'm, I, I'm currently auditioning. I'm literally in a suit right now. I just finished an audition for a new TV series. I'm, I'm in a suit. I look like a banker. And, um, <laughs> it's, it's just, and, then, and then literally in 15 minutes, I'm going to turn on um, the New York Theater Workshop. It's, they're, they're doing a virtual gala to celebrate this because Rent began at the New York Theater Workshop. Mm-hmm. Sadly, Jonathan passed. It moved quickly to Off-Broadway sold out and then right to Broadway in May. Yeah. Um, and so of 1996. So they're doing a virtual gala. So I'm going to pour myself a drink Come and on. then I'm going to sit down and stream this. Um, but I have to tell you, I've been listening to your show. Um, you know, I've been away from the station well over a year now. And, and I have to tell you, I've said it before t- to you both off, off air and, um, and certainly on air, but I think the work that you do is so incredibly important. You managed to give me a good party while keeping me informed, and it was just an honor to work with you guys, really. Oh, more to come, and we hope to have a drink with you soon, very yes. soon, too. And thank you. You're amazing. We love you. Well, love you, too, and, and don't forget, there's no day but today. Yes! Jay Rodriguez, everyone. We love you. Coming up on the show, a Harry Potter video game that might include trans characters. That's next on What's Trending This Hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Welcome to the show. Usually we'd be starting our show right now, but guess what? We've got new hours here on Channel Q. Let's go there comes for you, to you, weekdays, 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific. That almost went explicit. I didn't know where she was going <laughs> with that 9 one. 9 p.m. Eastern. <laughs> I was like, wow, I was just going to follow that train. <laughs> oh, I love it, though. No, seriously, if y'all thinking, if you missed out on our um, on the earlier hour since we started at a new time, you got to go over to radio.com and check out the podcast that's going to come right after this because guess what? All of our live shows are podcasts. And so it's pretty cool. It's pretty 
spot. You can check out everything you missed. Yep. And coming up on the show this hour, the story behind TikTok's cancel porn movement. I have no clue what this means, and I can't die. I can't wait to dive in. It feels like why is TikTok and porn in the same sentence? Well, you better stick around. Coming up in 15 minutes, and also Chastin Buttigieg has revealed a scary story of being outed, and so we're going to be uh, talking about. Should there be consequences for people that just out people? Mm, like legal consequences? Well, we'll be discussing that later this hour as okay, well. That's intense. Let's do it. Uh, but first, let's get into somewhat trending this hour. President Joe Biden uh, said today the U.S. would have enough COVID-19 vaccine doses for every adult American by the end of May. And this dramatically accelerates his timeline. Uh, but he acknowledged, he acknowledged that the country must still be vigilant against the virus. When we came into office, the prior administration had contracted for not nearly enough vaccine to cover adults in America. We rectified that. About three weeks ago, we were able to say that we'll have enough vaccine supply for adults by the end of July. I'm pleased to announce today, as a consequence of the stepped-up process that I've ordered and just outlined, This country will have enough vaccine supply, I'll say it again, for every adult in America. He also announced he would direct states to prioritize teachers in their vaccination plans, re-emphasizing a commitment to returning students to classrooms amid a confusing administration stance on when and how classrooms can reopen. And of course, we know governors have been stepping in. Like uh, Governor Gavin Newsom, who said he'd actually pay schools to reopen. You know, um... I want to be hopeful about this. I think they're setting their eyes on uh, something major. I I saw uh, State Senator Sarah McBride, she retweeted something that had to do with this, uh, saying that the vaccination will be by May or something, like a a most adult people. By May 31st. That's intense. Yeah. That's really intense. I don't know if that's genuinely going to happen because they really haven't proved uh, themselves with this distribution process. So I'm fingers crossed. It's fingers crossed. Johnson & Johnson and the vaccine companies have come together versus working separately. Mm. So this will be interesting to see what happens. Unification. Yes, exactly. Now, more details about the Harry Potter video game, Hogwarts Legacy, have been revealed, and it's slated to be released this year. J.K. Rowling, of course, has been in the headlines for her transphobic comments around trans women. But now Bloomberg is reporting that the game will be inclusive of transgender characters. The game, not the movies, right? Sources from the game's development team say they will allow players to customize their character's voice body type and gender placement for the school dormitories. Players will be able to choose a masculine or feminine voice and customize their character's studies as a witch or wizard, regardless of their character's identity. Which means that even though before you could pick one gender and only that gender had those choices, you can give all the different uh, characters different things, like different characteristics, no matter what their identity is. So that is pretty cool. Will you be playing it, Ryan? Um, Probably not. Even though you are a fan, or you were? Probably not. Okay. Let's get into some tea. What's going on, Ryan? All right, so Chris Cuomo. Chris Cuomo. Okay. Um, is speaking out for the first time about why he hasn't been covering the recent sexual harassment allegations against his brother. It's time for your tea report. Those pop culture stories trending right now. At the start of his broadcast, Monday on CNN's Cuomo Primetime, Chris told his viewers this. Obviously, I'm aware of what's going on with my brother. And obviously, I cannot cover it because he is my brother. Now, 
Of course, CNN has to cover it. They have covered it extensively and they will continue to do so. I have always cared very deeply about these issues and profoundly so. Is that enough? I mean, I would like to know his thoughts, but I, I get it. But he's also, yeah, I mean, but he said he's not covering it. Yeah, but I do think it's still major news and he's a primetime show. So I sometimes think that has to kind of be forfeited in, in often ways. But let us know what you think um, at LGT Show. We love to keep the conversation going on over there. And of course, I got more team report coming up next hour. Mm-hmm. Now coming up, we're getting into the cancel porn movement. What is it? Why is it going viral on TikTok? We'll explain next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. TikTok always has these new challenges and trends that are going viral. And half the time, you might be wondering, what are these things about? I'm feeling out of the loop. I mean, I'm old and um, oh, finally I, don't you know, admit it. I don't know half the things that are happening on that damn app. But let's figure this yeah, out. Yeah, we're here to help. Yeah, because I'm just confused on why TikTok and porn is in the same sentence. It's just as, you know really kind of bothering Yes, me. well, there's a new trend on TikTok, including the hashtag cancel porn. Here to explain more is Rebecca Jennings, a reporter covering internet culture at The Goods by Vox. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, so explain. What is this cancel porn <laughs> movement on TikTok? What's going on? Yeah, so I started seeing it a couple months ago, and I was like, what is this? But basically, it's this collection of TikTokers, and they're they're pretty diverse, you know, in in age and gender and race and and they're all they all talk about that porn is inherently bad you know it normalizes rape it normalizes incest pedophilia and misogyny it profits off of the sex trafficking trade it's a lot of um boys sharing stories about how they were addicted to porn and girls spreading awareness of teens that had been trafficked um and there's a big christian coalition of people who you know discuss how to overcome the sin of lust so it's kind of like a grab bag of every traditional argument against porn that we've heard from you know the past century or so yeah it feels like uh why is this happening why are people bringing this (laughs) these type of conversations onto a platform like tiktok because i think one thing that we could all say we learn about social media that it's pretty hard to have nuanced conversations right yes exactly that's why this is such a fraught topic especially on tiktok but i really think this comes out of something else that's happening on tiktok where you know there's a lot of talk about sex work and OnlyFans and sugar babying and cam girls and stripping. And so what we're seeing on TikTok is you get a, a window into a lot of different people's lives. And so, you know, you get sex workers talking about their jobs and, you know, like the, the high parts and the low parts. And, you know, some people who are, you know, critical of this, they're like, no, you're glamorizing this profession. And so sometimes you see girls who are teenagers being like, oh, I can't wait to, you know, turn 18 so I can start an OnlyFans. And, but I do, but I think more than that, what I often see is people is like older women who are very concerned about this and, you know, and concerned that this, this stuff on TikTok is romanticizing this potentially dangerous profession. That's I mean, it's interesting because there's some, some sense of liberation that's happening right now, but it's also an oversimplification of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that TikTok as a platform, like most social media platforms and, and probably more so, really amplifies the most extreme discourse. And so you're getting like these two really far extremes of like, you know, sex work is inherently misogynistic and, and you know, it's it's not empowering versus like sex work is amazing and there's no downside to it. And, and reality is like, 
you know, when you talk to these people in person, they all have like much more nuanced opinions than, you know, what you would see on TikTok. But conversations like this, which do require a ton of nuance, don't really get to happen there. Yeah, Rebecca Jennings is joining us. That's the voice you're hearing. She wrote an amazing, really interesting article on Vox.com about this week in TikTok, the problem with the cancel porn movement. I do wonder, though, because I think a lot of people even listening who are just familiar by ear of TikTok is like, oh, that's a child's app. So teenager. Teenager. Yeah. Yeah, So it it feels kind of a little bit inappropriate to for this app to are these conversations to be happening on this app. Is it? Totally. I mean, I think a lot of what I'm hearing from the cancel porn people are are that like they are teenagers talking about how they were exposed to porn at a very young age and, you know, it, it ruined their life or, or didn't um, or they got addicted to it or they feel like it's being addictive to other people. And so it's just a lot of, you know, people sharing their stories and and often those things. And I mean, yeah, I think their point is that, you know, porn or kids can um, access porn, you know, younger than ever. And, you know, that's potentially dangerous to them. Um, But then I think where we get into trouble is where we are like, no, all porn is bad and you should be shamed if you watch it. I think that's a big leap to make. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that TikTok will end up taking down these types of videos or limiting them in some way? I doubt it. I don't see it as, you know, as controversial as, you know, TikTok does not like to be seen as. It doesn't like to be seen as this place where, you know, a, a ton of political debate or, or really sensitive topics are being discussed. I, I think that this falls under the category of like, you know, people are trying to have, you know, earnest conversations about stuff that they believe in. And, you know, I don't think that TikTok is going to target this as yeah. much as they're going to target other things. That is true. And it's amazing how you can get in depth with nuanced conversations in 30 seconds to a minute. <laughs> I think it's it's really interesting, and I I think you might be our new go-to for all TikTok in the news. (laughs) I'll be honored. (laughs) That was uh, Rebecca Jennings, a reporter covering Internet Culture at the Goods by Vox. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much. Now coming up, how to send dirty voice notes. This is also a new trend. We're going to help you. Let's get sexy. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. We all know about sex and sharing explicit pics or texts to get things steamy and hot. But what about... <laughs> Sorry. I was really trying there and I lost you, it. That's the, that's the problem. Let you me never, try it again. You should never try again. so hard. We all know about sex and sharing explicit pics or texts to get things steamy. Okay. But what about voice notes? Uh-huh. That could be a bit more personal and challenging, right? Well, here to help us navigate how to send dirty voice notes is Stephanie Gerlach, a Detroit-based sex and relationship therapist, also an award-winning author of The Leather Couch, Clinical Practice with Kinky Clients. Welcome back, Stephanie. Hi, friends. I've missed you. Miss you more. You know what kills the mood more than anything, though? Saying, saying, uh, uh, dirty. What? What is? What did you say? Dirty, dirty voice notes. Dirty voice notes. Yeah, that just sounds like dirty laundry or something. <laughs> <laughs> so, Does not get me in the mood. What is? Uh, what's a dirty voice note, Stephanie? So I agree with Ryan. Dirty sounds dirty. I like saying erotic. Oh. Erotic or dirty voice notes are when we use the voice app or the memo function on our phones to record our voices saying something sweet or sexy or seductive. And then we can shoot that off to our partner in a text or an email. 
it is a great way to kind of shake up the flirting paradigm that partners have going, especially in times like these where we're spending a lot of time apart. Yeah, you know, I love a good voice message. I started to really enjoy those uh, in the pandemic uh, because you could just hear the tone of messages mm-hmm. and things like that. But I think when you, you think about it in a sexual kind of frame, it feels like you're you're a performative. It feels like you're you're going to be kind of trying to be all flirty and like a sexual, porn star or yeah, like moany, and it just feels like it, it's not. Uh, you fall into that instead of just kind of being authentic. Any advice? Yeah. So first of all, don't worry about sound effects. If you're falling into moans and groans and usinage, you're already kind of pushing yourself out there too far. Mm. I like to encourage my clients to describe what's going on, describe where they are, describe what they're doing. Tell the person that you are sending the voice note to exactly what you want to do the next time you see them or what you're imagining as you sit without them. Can we? Sorry, can- Ryan just made a face like he was thinking about something or something he's going to be doing in the future. I, no, I was because I was going to say, should we put this to the test? Should Shira and I send voice notes right now to, to each, each other over other? the air? Over yeah. S- Let's see if we got going? it together. I don't what know. What is going on? Just, first, before we do that, how do you know if it's appropriate? Because there needs to be consent, right? There we go. Stephanie? Start there. Consent is key, right? I don't know if you guys have ever been on the receiving end of getting um, a picture from a friend at maybe an inopportune moment, but I certainly have. And it's important to make sure that the person you are sending your love notes to, whether they are visual or um, voice notes, knows what's coming, is okay with receiving it, and it's in a place to enjoy it privately. Yeah. But where's so, the spontaneity? Like, well, they spo- can be with family or their kids yeah, but at, like, a, at work. Don't you like spontaneous? Like, I I love, I'm not going to lie to you, if there is a, a clear understanding between me and whoever I'm talking to, and we, we've already done this before, we have that type of relationship, it's hot getting something spontaneous. Oh, 100%. I am married. I know I have full consent from my partner to send him whatever erotic things I want to send. But I still perhaps will lead off with, I'm thinking something naughty. Are you in a place to get the message? True. Mm. Stephanie, what are tips? What, what do people need to know? Well, you mentioned the, the prep tips. But then once they're in the so situation. What? Be descriptive. Adjectives are your friend. Mm. Think about texture. Think about scent. Think about the things that you love when you are with your partner and then describe those to them. Feeling. Think about what what you're wearing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I'm wearing something silky and I wish you could feel it. Something like that is a lovely, low-key, non-moany way to turn your partner on from a distance. Even if you're just wearing sweatpants. (laughs) (laughs) You're essentially lying. Uh, Stephanie Gerlich, we love having you on. Uh, She's a Detroit-based sex and relationship (sighs) therapist, award-winning author of The Leather Couch, clinical practice with kinky clients. Thanks again. Always a delight. I need to share, I'll share my tips with you, Ryan. Too. I don't need, girl, first of all, I don't need no but, damn tips. I know what I'm doing. We good over here. We're shifting gears. Uh, <laughs> Chastin Buttigieg shared a really frightening story of being outed at work and what that has to do with the Equality Act. That's next. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Now, should there be consequences for people who just out people, including those at work, right? Uh, and we've had individuals share their stories of coming out, of course, on Channel Q. But being outed is a whole other thing, and it's just horrible, traumatizing. Have you ever felt felt that way or been in that position, Ryan? 
No, I've talked about my coming out story here before. But no one has outed you like before in general, before I, I, you can. I think with a voice like mine, it's pretty hard to out me. I'm not going to lie well, to you. Um, don't make that joke to anyone else. That was just a joke that I can make because it's my experience. Um, just to make it clear. But, um, yeah, no, that's never really happened to me. I think I have at some points have probably felt pressured or cornered um, into always having to, in every situation, I think every queer person feels this way, that you have to come out multiple times throughout your life. You have to do that in any space, any new room. You're telling people, and that's essentially coming out all the time. And so this idea which is I've talked about here on the show before, coming out to me is just completely oppressive. It's just not something that I celebrate. It's not something that I think we should be celebrating. I think we need to quit othering people and just kind of make it a part of the lives. But if there are people out there outing folks and taking those experiences and those moments away from people, yeah, they, they do deserve to to have something, you know, happen in, in a necessary way, right? Like or use it to be intense. homophobic, of Right, course. right, right. Uh, well, Chastin, you know, Pete Buttigieg's husband, shared on Twitter the horror he felt when he was publicly confronted about his sexuality by a supervisor at work. Imagine that. The story inspired a lot of people on Twitter to tell their own frightening stories of having to choose between keeping their job or staying in the closet. And this is really important because, of course, we're waiting for the passage of the Equality Act, right? It's moving to the Senate. And he noted that in many places at the time, it would have been legal for his employer to fire him for being LGBTQ+. And he used this experience to call attention to the Equality Act. He said, I'll never forget when an assistant manager found out I was gay in the break room, marched out onto the floor, came right up to my face and said, wait, is it true you're an F word? He then went on to ask what might have happened if his manager didn't like his sexuality, because at the time it would have been legal for places to fire him. And he didn't reveal any other specifics of where he was working at the time, but it really shows the importance of why the Equality Act is there and why it is so crucial for it to be passed. He says it is time to codify true equality for LGBTQ plus people and pass the Equality Act, which is also why it's so sad to have some folks like log cabin Republicans that we've had on our show talk about how this is being used as an excuse to take or a way to take rights away from women. Yeah, it's just not it's not right. And I think it's um, something that we genuinely have to look at. And um, during that time where that was, uh, a, you know, obviously something that Chastin went through, it's just it's scary. It's automatically you feel like the pit in your stomach just being like, wow. I've been revealed, right? And not on your own terms. And I think that's when it starts to become messy and and especially in a workplace. Like, no, that person should be fired. That company should be held responsible and accountable. And we I, I'm hoping that people aren't still going through this um at you know, now in such the time that we're living in, you know. Yep. And so and thank you to Chaston for sharing this, of course. And you can find that tweet on his social media on Twitter. Uh, but coming up on the show, trans girls could face criminal charges for trying out for school sports if this Minnesota bill passes. We're giving you more details next on What's Trending this hour. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Coming up on the show, what is BiPlus Health Awareness Month? And could Biden's recent statement about unions pressure big companies like Amazon who keeps fighting against them? I mean, I'm pretty happy that he's standing up for something like this. It's, yeah, it's, it's really historic. Deal, yeah. Right? It is. Is it radical? I mean, it is it is pretty radical. I do like it. I think we do all need to reevaluate how radical 
should we be getting to get this stuff done that we need to get done, right? It's no longer staying in the middle or trying to be all democratic about it. We need to get radical up in here. All right. Well, <laughs> uh, let's get into some what's trending this hour. FBI Director Christopher Ray is denying claims that Antifa was part of the violence of the Capitol, saying the FBI hasn't seen any evidence of that. Here he is today. Certainly, we're, while we're equal opportunity and looking for uh, violent extremism of any uh, of any ideology, uh, we have not to date seen any evidence of uh, of anarchist violent extremists or, or people subscribing to Antifa uh, in connection with the sixth. That doesn't mean we're not looking and we'll continue to look. But at the moment, we have not seen that. Once again, this has been an argument of the Republican Party, the right, and Senator Chuck Grassley actually used much of his opening statement to talk about this as a left-wing assault. Now, a Republican lawmaker in Minnesota introduced a bill that would impose criminal penalties on transgender girls who try out for school sports. This is the first time this has been done in the country, by the way. State Representative Eric Lucero, who definitely deserves to be... uh, canceled, introduced this uh, bill, which would ban transgender girls and women from trying out for sports as their gender and even make it a petty misdemeanor for them to play on sports teams. As uh, a petty misdemeanor is not technically a crime, but the penalties are criminal, they could end up in front of a juvenile judge forced to pay up to a $300 fine, and it ends up on their record. Imagine that. I mean, this pushes the bills. There's 20 other states who are considering bills that target transgender people. We've talked about this. Yeah. Uh, banning transgender girls and women, women from school sports. But this is the first time they want to criminalize trans girls from playing school sports. This is crazy. I mean, this just keeps getting more and more ridiculous, if you ask me. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we have nothing more to say about this. This guy sucks. He also proposed a bill that would cut funding to local libraries if they host drag queen story hours. It did not pass. So remember this person, if you want to call him out, Eric Lacero in Minnesota. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? Oh, my God. I have some really cool news. The real world is coming back and coming home to New York. Um, it's time for your T-Report, those pop culture stories trending right now. So I don't know if y'all seen all of the rollout that's happening with Paramount+. Plus, But, honey, Paramount+, Plus is coming to really snatch our wigs. In this teaser for the real world homecoming New York, uh, New York we see the original cast reunite in the same New York City loft. Here is a little bit of a teaser because, girl, it's good. No way. I can't believe we're back 30 years later. We got body. Yes. Ooh, the neighbors are going to be pissed. Oh, boy. I didn't meet any cute boys tonight. I didn't either. What was it like after you had come out on the show? It was hard. My friends left me. He represents what we all need to be, which is love. It's 29 years later and we're still having the same conversations. Call me a racist. Because you are. And it's going to sound, again, racist, but... And don't say it. 
I mean, Ooh. explosive, right? If that didn't make you want to throw your money at uh, Paramount Plus, I don't know what is going to. The reunion series will revisit the shocking moments and explosive issues that transpired during the historic season and discuss how they parallel in today's societal, uh, social climate. Um, so I'm super excited about this. This is going to be premiering March 4th on Paramount Plus, honey. That is your T report. Very cool. I, did you ever audition for The Real World? I did. I, I did. I did. And I still would. I honestly would still go on that show. I, I love it a lot. And I think the reason why this one is so special as we wrap up is because the 1992 Real World cast, mm-hmm. it included one of the first LGBTQ plus relationships documented it on a TV series oh. and the first televised same-sex commitment ceremony and its uh, portrayal of Pedro Zamora's battle with HIV. Mm. And of course, we all know that he unfortunately passed. Oh, yeah. okay. Let's go there with Shira and Ryan. Channel Q. Wrapping up the show as we always do with our Yes Queen of the Day. Yes, Queen. Now this is impressive. A high school senior applied to over 20 colleges has now been offered more than $1 million in scholarship money. Wow. I mean... Wow, that is so much money. Like, you, do you even, oh, I guess it's from different schools, different tuitions all add up, but the multiple schools, that's a huge, huge deal. Yeah, so Shania Robinson-Owens from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, has been accepted into 18 schools, and the 17-year-old currently attends uh, George Washington Carver High School of Engineering and Science. And here she is reacting to all of this, and she even appeared on Good Morning America. It was kind of a surprise. Like, I was really shocked. I was like... Oh, well, I like I didn't know what to do. I didn't know if I could cry, laugh. I didn't know what to do. Congrats to Shania, who has proven to us all that hard work pays off. I mean, honestly, this is a huge deal. And um, oh, my God, this is interesting. I've been watching this show um, called Last Chance You. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a sports documentary series. And you just see a lot of the college students, they're getting their scholarships and stuff. And I just a lot of people's lives are on these moments of being able to get a full ride or oh, yeah. working so hard, putting their lives to this. And I think it's just really important to highlight you know, moments like this, because she deserves. This is incredible. I'll admit, I'm one of those who watches on TikTok, like, watch this family's reaction to their kid getting into college. Or like, the first person in their family to ever go to college, here's their reaction getting in. Oh, I'm one of those. I'm a sucker. It's emotional, for Mm -hmm. sure. And that does it for our Yaz Queen of the Day and our show. Yes, Queen. If you want to nominate anyone, always hit us up on social media. Or if you just have a suggestion for something you want us to cover, at LGT Show is where you can find us. We are back tomorrow. We've got new hours again. Mm-hmm. We're earlier. We're longer here on Channel Q. 2 to 6 p.m. Pacific. That's 5 to 9 p.m. Eastern. On tomorrow's show, we got to get into this. We're Going deep on deep fake videos. How did they start? What's going on? Is Tom Cruise actually on TikTok? No. And what does the future hold? Can this be super problematic? Yeah, it's intense. What are the ethical issues around this? That's tomorrow's show. And if you miss any of today's show or all of our shows, for that matter, our entire archive, we have a podcast. Just go to the radio.com app or where podcasts are available and search Let's Go There. It's that easy. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. Stick around for Love Line with Dr. Chris right after this. All right, bye, y'all.